Hey, g'day folks, it's Simo here and welcome to episode 18 of the Thong Slappers, the big 1-8. We're all legal now. What we're going to get on and do with this episode is we're actually going to finish up 1983 as promised. Now, we've been joined by a special guest and self-proclaimed moot, Andrew Broadley from Street Machine Commodores and also it's Big Brother Street Machine Magazine. He's back to talk general chit-chat with us. Welcome back, Broads. How you going, mate? Going really well, mate. Yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. You're very polite too, I must say. Hey, listen, I know that uh, 1983 will probably be a little bit hard for you, seeing you're actually born in 1983, but we'll see what we can do anyway. And Redmond, I hope you're actually there too. Yes, I'm here. I've uh, had that much sugar and chocolate treats that I'm waiting for you that I'm shaking like the Sayo packet at a Boy Scouts camp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Siri, Broads. Where, like, where do you go from there? It's no wonder whenever he yeah. says this stuff, I just I just lose all train of thought and concentration and know what to say. So do you, you understand why it's that way now that you're at the coalface yourself with us? I, I get what you're up against, mate. It's it's not easy. No, no, it's, always, it's not. It's always about the wanking. <laughs> I'm giving up the wanking. Great song by Kevin Bloody Wilson, too. You should check it out if you get the chance. Hey, we'll have to. Hey, speaking of songs, we're going to talk about a bit of a song for 1983 that's actually divided Thong Slap as a unit, and uh, we'll get to that a little bit later, but I guess the main thing we want to cover off this episode, as promised, is talk about a couple of movies from 1983, a couple of very pivotal cars also from 1983, and have a chat about that particular song I just alluded to. First and foremost, BMX Bandits. That's where we want to start. So, now, are you guys both fluent in BMX Bandits and what it's all about? Yeah, I mean, I, it came out not long after I um, I was sort of born, so it, it, it's not like I recall its release with any great sort of accuracy. But I used to watch it a, a lot as a young fella, and I had what I think was a, an old Madison BMX that I stripped down and re-sprayed and reassembled when I was a kid with the Skyway Tufts on it, and it was a pretty cool rig. So, yeah, I get it. Nice. And isn't it funny that so many car guys you speak to of our kind of generation, they all started off in BMX and doing the same sorts of things, rebuilding BMX bikes, painting them, doing all that stuff to them. And that's why a lot of the street car guys you meet these days are still fans of the old, you know, BMX. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, even these days, I've got a SE Bikes Big Ripper in the shed, which is ah, kind nice. of like an oversized BMX on 29-inch wheels, which I love rolling around on and you know yeah. it's a bit of a throwback to my childhood i guess as well dong slappers suck back to bmx bandits in 1983 it was actually the first movie for one young curly red-headed lass called nicole kidman and funnily enough i said to saint lucy the other night geez i wonder if she's embarrassed by this movie like when it comes up in her movie credit rolls and she casually turned to me and saint lucy said i don't know she said i think it's nicole kidman's best work to date which kind of sums that up in a lot of ways. But <laughs> Look, the basic premise is the movie focuses around three friends. You've got PJ, Goose, and Judy. Of course, Judy is played by Nicole Kidman. Goose is actually played by a bloke called James Lugton, who I never actually saw anything else after this movie. And PJ, 
He was played by a bloke called Angelo D'Angelo, who had the fantastic role as Vangeli Petrakis in the movie The Big Steel with Ben Mendelsohn. He owned the Monaro. If you've seen the movie The Big Steel from 1990, it had Claudia Carvin in it as well. Angelo D'Angelo was that guy. Can I just quickly digress, just very quickly, into that movie? Like, The Big Steel is one of Australia's best movies of all time. If you haven't seen it, do yourself a favour. Steve Bisley as Gordon Farkas plays the best used car salesman you will ever see in the history of your lifetimes. So, yeah, I don't know. Are you familiar with that movie as well? I haven't seen, I haven't it, seen it myself, no. Oh, do yourselves a favour. The Big Steel, Ben Mendelsohn, Steve Bisley, Marshall Napier, who plays, like, Ben Mendelsohn's dad... Is that Daniel the Lion Teamer? That's Daniel our son. It is a must-see. You have to put up Redmond, get your pencil out, start writing it down like you do. But look, back to BMX Band. What, re- what was the reference you just said to Daniel and the Lion, lion Teamer? Isn't that Daniel, <laughs> Daniel and the Lions, Ben? Possibly, but in the movie, Ben Mendelsohn plays a guy called Danny who just wants his jag desperately and all the rest of it. And his parents... They had this thing for Daniel. They just do it to, you know, basically embarrass him where they say, is that Daniel the Lion Teamer? No, that's Daniel, our son. If you know anyone called Daniel, make sure you say it to them just to piss them off. It works really well. Makes sense? I was just thinking of, yep, it does. Of course it makes sense, Simon. Fantastic. I I was just thinking of the, you know, the reference to the old story, Daniel and the Lion's Den. That's probably what it is a reference to, but that's me. Maybe. things. (laughs) <laughs> well, it went straight over my head, so I may not be as probably clued up in things as I should be, which it wouldn't be the first, nor will it be the last time that happens. If we got a T-shirt and it says, if, if Thong Slappers only had 10 bucks left on eBay and we had to buy one T-shirt between us and it said, get on, we're stupid, who gets it out of you and I? <laughs> <laughs> where would you start? Seriously, where would you start? We could never work that out. I seriously think you'd get it. Let's uh, let's have people. Can you? Run? I don't know about that. I think what we'd actually do is take a colour photocopy of it, and then just pin it on your t-shirt. And the way you'd wear it, you'd probably put it down towards your own old fella down the bottom. Maybe that's how it works. I really don't know. You would get people to give us some comments on who they think gets a t-shirt. If you pick me, I'm fucking deleting you on Instagram. You fucking. <laughs> 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 Oh, oh yeah. Really? This is this is standard practice broad, so just hang in there, mate. Just bear with us. It's not over yeah, till we no, tell you goodbye. With how it works. Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so BMX bandits, these three three friends who obviously ride into BMX, they find slash steal a bunch of walkie talkies that are hidden for a bunch of bad guys to use in a bank robbery. Now, one of the guys who plays I guess one of the bank robbers is a fellow called David Argue. He plays uh, like the blonde-haired fella in this movie, and he is one of my favourite Australian actors of all time. He's just—he was in Midnight Spares, who, which we'll also talk about. He played a fellow called Rabbit in Midnight Spares, also a 1983 movie. And his demeanour, the way he acts, his voice—he cracks him up every time. But look, as far as BMX bandits go, basically stealing these uh, stealing these walkie-talkies takes this bunch of friends on some big adventures. If you can think of any BMX bike stunt to do, this movie will have it, whether it be jumps, whether it be riding downstairs or upstairs. There's one actual particular scene where they do a jump off a Volkswagen Beetle and land in a like a um, like a soccer field. And I'll tell you what, mate, when you watch the landing in the movie, you see the guys who did these stunts, like the riding, both of these guys, when they land, you just see the feet come off the pedals. And if they didn't knacker themselves to kingdom come on the top tube... <laughs> 
I tell you, it's pretty yeah. gruesome when you watch back and actually pay like close attention to that. But I think for me, probably one of the best scenes in that movie was they took the bikes down a water slide. Do you remember that? They actually get their bikes yeah. and they go down this water slide. And I remember as a kid just thinking that was awesome and I had to give that a go at Rainbow Valley at Ferny Grove. I never quite got to do that, but it's sort of one of those things where it's always amazed me. You'd see the bikes, they didn't have cranks in them or they had like half cranks. So the pedals, of course, wouldn't dig in and do any damage or whatever the case may be. But it was only recently that I learned from a mate of mine, Glenn Casey, who was actually in that movie. He was a kid and he was in that movie at the end scene where people are getting overrun by... Um, kids on bmx bikes he actually said to me that the bike frames they used for those water slide scenes were actually made out of pvc tubing which i thought was pretty cool wow well was that so it didn't damage the slide that seems like a lot of work doesn't it it must be but i think also just to keep them as lightweight as possible perhaps like but uh, it was just interesting i'd never think to do that because as far as i was concerned they always look like real bikes i mean they didn't kind of mess around with the bikes they used. Like, there was a red diamond back that had the blue mongoose and also a black Malvern star. So, I guess the bikes they chose to use were quality stuff at the time. So, you know, it, it's interesting, those sort of little tidbits of information you can learn about particular movies and, and stuff, you know, from people over the years as well. But I, I guess it came at a time where BMX bike culture was just massive in Australia, you know, and it was right at its peak. It's probably why the movie was so popular then and is still so popular now. Well, can I just make a comment on that? And I can say this. You you posted something on Instagram the other day. It was that I want to star a BMX star uh, <clears throat> song. Or the, oh, yeah, the, the old TV commercial. I can say with no irony and I can say without bullshitting, and I swear I still sing that song when I'm riding my fucking bike, man. It's like it's it's, it's like an ad. <laughs> <laughs> like any other. And when you put it up, I just went. When you put it up, that linked me back to Thong Slappers. I went, oh guys, that's oh that's right. I'm part of that. That's right. And this and that was one of the go tos. You, you picked it perfectly when you put it up. To be quite honest, with my homework for this podcast, one of them was to watch expanded. I only watched the highlights, but I did suffer through the other two fucking assignments you sent me. And I know the other two assignments you sent me was because. Me- me and Winston rang you pissed the other night at midnight, which we thought was fucking hilarious, but I do apologise for waking everybody up. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, look, the movie reviews we've got coming up, this like Midnight idea. Spares and also the song review for Uncanny X-Men, How Do You Get Your Kicks, it's going to divide us as a, as a united team, I think. I think we're going to come away from this just devastated at each other and wondering if we can ever be friends again. But moving on, Broads, BMX Bandits, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, my uh, my recollection of movies and pop culture stuff is not razor sharp, but what I will say is that I do remember watching it a bunch as a young fella, and I do remember, after watching it, feeling the need to go and jump on my BMX and go for a ride, which, you know, I think is something that kids today could probably use a little bit more of. Oh, mate, I think adults can. Like, I see clips on TV of Drag Week or people doing burnouts, and I immediately want to go out and smoke the tyres off something myself. I think it's something that sticks with you as well, personally. I know yeah. Redmond does. I've seen yeah, like, video evidence of that. So, yeah. should see him after he watches a porno. Oh, my God. <laughs> i send you a video. I'll post the video. Me, Griffin, and Shank. <laughs> Where I do some of the best work. But um, BMX is, for me, like, we've all got cars maybe road bikes, dirt bikes and bits and pieces. I've said it before, BMX, for me, is the best. It's so simple. It's just got two cranks, two sprockets, one chain, no suspension. It, for me, it's so easy because it's so easy to maintain and, it, and it's so much fun. 
Yeah, you can just thrash the crap out of them, really. And that's what is good. There's no fixing derailers or adjusting this or adjusting that. And I think that's why you can give them a hiding and just come back and, and enjoy them sort of soon after. It's because of that, because they are low my maintenance go- as far as that goes. My go-to move, honestly, for 40 years, and broads, maybe you can relate this, maybe not, is dropping short. I mean, doing a jump, then... <laughs> My nephews call me 50 cent because my rims just end up like a 50 cent because I just consistently <laughs> can't, cannot pull a gap, mate. And I, but you like, don't fucking – anybody else would kind of give it a break. Whatever, I just drop short on the doubles and dead set. It's like landing on a fucking gate. It's like riding a fucking gate when you land the thing and drop short. It's got no suspension. It's got 40 pound in the tyres. It sucks, but I'm never going to stop it. <laughs> no. You are committed to the cause, and that's pretty interesting in itself. But, hey, if you're really committed and really committed to BMX Bandits, if you check out eBay at the moment, just type in BMX Bandits. There's a guy selling a full, like, BMX Bandits display, and it includes four bikes. Like, it's got the original three bikes we talked about, the Blue Mongoose, the Black Melbourne Star, the Red Diamondback. But it also comes with... In that movie, there's like a chubby kid who kind of looked like a girl who obviously was a rich kid, was always eating all the good food and all the rest of it. And he had a black Supermax Turbo. So this guy's actually got a display which has got all these four bikes restored to like perfect condition. And it even comes with like those handheld Motorola walkie-talkies, which were kind of the subject of why these uh, kids on the BMX were being chased in the first place. And it's for a cool fifteen and a half grand. This entire BMX bandits display can be yours if you're keen. If you'd won the Powerball, you sent me that link, and it would have <clears throat> for fifteen grand. I'd have to get fucking Nicole Kidman with it as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, look, it, if you break it down, like it sounds like a lot of money because it fucking is. But if you break it down to how much it costs to restore this stuff these days, you know, BMX like cars, it's not a cheap venture. And I know people who happily spend thousands of dollars on BMX bikes and getting all the right finishes and all the rest of it. So I don't know, it's different horses with different courses, but it's it's sort of it, it is a very cool when you see the display in the photos there, you can't help but be taken back to a kid. And you know, I used to dream of having BMXs with Skyway Tufts and all the rest of it. And yeah, it's, it's definitely something from an era that we just won't see again, sadly. I mean, at least back in those days, we actually put our seats up so you could sit on them. They weren't, like, level with the top tube like seems to be the go nowadays. So, I don't know. Can someone explain that to me? Like, I don't yes. know if you guys have got, you know, nephews or nieces or someone. Why the fuck do they ride BMX these days with the seats, like, right down to the top tube? What's the go with that? Broads, do you want to tell him or will I? Uh, I suspect we might have different answers, Redmond, by the tone you've taken there, mate. But I think it's just—I think it's just so that you know, for being able to do different tricks or whatever, being able to move your legs around and all that kind of stuff. That would be my guess, but I couldn't tell you with any sort of authority. When you okay. blow your feet off of pegs from dropping short, do you want your feet to drive into the ground, or do you want your balls to drive into your liver from the seat? Oh, good point. Yeah, okay, mm, I can enough. see that. Yeah, believe me, from a permanent and totally fucking disorientated fucking veteran of BMX with sore balls. Yeah, the seat will clean your balls up if it's too high and your feet don't hit the ground first. Like a wheelie bar for your cock. <laughs> so it's not from you just hanging. It's not from just you hanging too low in the first place. No, well, I, you know I don't wear underwear since 96. <laughs> I don't even well, know talking, why you chose 1996, but anyway. 
when I lived in Darwin, it's too hot to wear undies, man. You sweat, and all your undies end up is just like a sweat catcher for your cock and your balls, and you just end up with this big, massive extra pile of sweat on your little ginger cock. Okay. Can we try try and have one podcast where we don't discuss my cock? (laughs) You're the one bringing it up all the time. The onus is on you, mate. If you want change, you're the one who's going to have to actually implement that. Oh, I'm quite happy with as long as you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I was just thinking of you two. (laughs) Are you even still there, Broads, or have you just given up? (laughs) Only just, mate. I'm hanging in there. Okay. Well, moving on, Midnight Spares, another fantastic movie from 1983 and another movie which featured David Argue. He played Rabbit in that movie again, pulling out all the one-liners and just the voice that only he can. And look, Midnight Spares is definitely, a, if, if, if you haven't seen that and you're into cars, do yourself a favour and go and check it out. It's definitely an Aussie car lover's Put it on your fanging flick list for sure. Look, this features all the cars we've grown up loving. You know, it's got Falcons, it's got Chrysler's, it's got panel vans, it's got everything you could want in that. It's even got a couple of old tow trucks. But the thing I love about the movie the most is the fleet of the baddies who actually do the car theft. They've got Holden One Tunners with Trans Am fronts and musical horns. It doesn't get much better than that. But look, Midnight Spares is based around a fellow called Steve. He's come down from Toowoomba to race sprint cars with his dad, Ted, who lives in Sydney. And... Ted, his dad's kind of disappeared and no one knows where to find him. So Tomas, who's played by Aussie veteran Max Cullen, he's actually in business with Ted in this panel shop. And it turns out that a few of the local businessmen are into a pretty full-on stolen car racket. So that's basically what the, the story revolves around is Steve and his mates who try and bust this stolen car racket wide open and in the process get up to some shenanigans. It's got some fantastic, actually, early speedway footage too. I think it must be Liverpool, somewhere in Sydney. Look, I'm not from Sydney, so my apologies. Parramatta. But Parramatta, yeah, look, it's got some great yeah, speedway. Yeah, it looked like it could have been Parramatta, I think. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, yep, definitely local knowledge comes in handy there you guys that's for sure but you know it's, it's got a lot of cool stuff in it it's got Gia Carides, which is also a massive bonus she plays Ruth Mintos who's like Steve's becomes Steve's I guess girlfriend another good thing of that movie it's actually got a lot of a cool Australian like legendary actors as well you've got Tony Barry who plays a dirty cop <coughs> Uh, Graham Blundell who plays a shifty businessman and John Clayton who's like an insurance assessor lining up all these panel shops to use their stolen stuff I guess definitely the highlights of that movie are of course David Argue as Wimpy uh, sorry as Rabbit and Bruce Spence who plays Wimpy now Bruce Spence of course he was in Mad Max too. he was the bloke who uh, the gyro man he flew the gyrocopter big tall lanky fella you see him in a lot of stuff and you know <laughs> the one liners that play off in that movie they're kind of uh, you know, really got into the vernacular of a lot of people. Anytime someone farts who I know straight away, you're into the, oh, poo, mate, get out of the cab. Actually, Red, this is something that comes close to you, the Red Charger that you've sort of been doing some work on looking after. It got its name, The Canoe, from Midnight Spares. Who's stealing my car? Yeah, he's stealing your car, that's right. Next time you see a nice Red Charger, mate, it will be a canoe. So, you know, is this a movie you guys grew up with or is it something you've got onto sort of in recent times? I'm probably a little bit young to be sort of into it, I guess, as such, you know, as part of my childhood. But I did give it a watch uh, the other night and I quite enjoyed it. And that that scene where that valiant, that, that charger was cut up was 
pretty brutal to watch these days, even as it an is. guy. And I, I mean, I know that you guys don't have a great deal of um, sympathy for rec classics as such on the thong slappers, but but yeah, it was they made short work of that thing. Look, definitely, and that's sort of one of those scenes that just has gone down into, I guess, a legendary status as far as Australian car movies go. But um, what about you, Red? Look, I know you weren't really a fan of this movie so much. Have you got a bit of a review on Midnight Spares for us? I have. Now, I watched part of my homework along with The Uncanny X-Men. I did. I watched it from start to finish. So I have a synopsis here of the film. I basically consider the genre as a horror film. A chick marries the first guy she bangs. Man, that's a fucking horror film there, right for anybody. <laughs> the other major theme in the in the movie is a dirty, filthy mechanic in blue overalls who's battling a really bad case of the worms. And it could be a, an hour-long ad for Convantrum worm tablets. I mean, a couple of worms right at the start of that would have solved it. I'll have uh, three hamburgers with everything, please. Two 15 inches of heaven, three cans of Fanta, and uh, four donuts, please. Yes. And uh, wouldn't mind the bottom of the Mars bar if you got one open, Ruth. And did I see a Trans Am fronted SLR 5000? Oh, it's got yeah, a Monza front. Yeah, no, it's actually Monza got a Monza front. front. Yeah, yeah the red 5, one. The car chase is another scene that I think was interesting. Was it a XA hard top and a P76? That's the ones, yep. In the aqueduct there, whatever. I mean, there's, that, that, that would have taken 400 fucking tins of WD-40 to film by the time they dried them. <laughs> then things would have been Jesus. running one cylinder each with all the water spraying off. The, the dizzies are at the front of both of them. There's no way they would have been able to. They're probably towing them in the fucking end. But um, <laughs> I solved the mystery, too, of it, actually. A bit of, uh, a bit of detective work. You know what happened to Ted the dad? Why, where he's gone? No, he's been done. They've done Ted. That's all no, I no, know. No. Max Cullen. I, he fucked off after he watched the preview for the film. Oh, that's a bit harsh, man. Come on, your movie reviews like reviewing a cover of CBC <laughs> magazine. You take the wildest angles. I am very impressed with the WD-40 on the distributor thing, though. That's something I never would oh, have thought would have been, of. I guess I'm judging it unfairly because it would have been so much better if I had watched it back when a, a cult film is the best to watch when you are young and impressionable. But unfortunately, I'm judging it against like running on empty and stone, Mad Max, some of them things. So I'm, I'm sure it's probably if you watch The Castle today, like as a 45-year-old, if I watched The Castle today, I wouldn't get it. I think you got to watch cult films back when, um, you know, Batman was it was it was new. I'd probably be in my arsenal, but I'm not a huge film fan either. Oh, look, see, I, I kind of agree with that with TV shows like Dukes of Hazzard. Like, I watch Dukes of Hazzard now, and as much as I like watching it, it's definitely not as good as it was when I was a kid, but I watch Midnight Spares now, and I still piss myself laughing. I still think it's an awesome movie. <laughs> and what was the other movie you mentioned? You were just comparing then. Um, Running oh, on the right? Yeah, look, yeah, it was something else, but I can still watch those. I still get just as excited by those movies now. Oh, The Castle. Like, I've watched The Castle, and I still get. I still think it's hilarious. So maybe just... I don't know. Maybe I'm just not as cultured. Maybe there's not enough Jack Kerouac in my life as there is in yours. I've just missed it altogether. A couple of little um, tidbits for Midnight Spares. For starters, hang on. When Rat pisses in the fuel tank of the tow truck and gets electrocuted on the on the old fella. Surely you laughed at that. Surely your Redmond face cracked a little bit of a smile. No. To uh, you just, it, were you steadfast? When you held strong. When he the food van, that was fucking hilarious. <laughs> no, no, it was funny. It was yeah. funny when he had the food van as well. Yeah, look, a couple of interesting little pointers from that movie. Janelle Clapton, who played... Um, Rabbit's misses in that movie who gets a top off at the end of the film. That was actually Amanda Dole. She was a, a Playboy 
Playmate of the Year or Penthouse chick, that chick. Yeah, so she had prized for doing that sort of stuff. But also the finishing song to the movie, like right at the end, when the end credits roll, it was a song called Love is the Law. That's actually written and sung by Paul Kelly. It's a great version of that song, and it's not really one you get to hear often. Like the other version you can get, say, on his albums, it's a lot, it's a lot faster than that. But I think it's a fantastic version of that song. It's a shame it was never released as something you could, you know, download or purchase anyway. But like, I don't know. I think it's sort of, you know, you had cars in that movie, like the black Trans Am that gets stolen from the car yard. Oh, I think we lost, we lost Broads. Uh, we knew it was coming. <laughs> we got no one, we got no one to blame but ourselves, mate. I'm just adding him back. He won't come. You had enough, all right? <laughs> you had enough. I'll send him a photo of my cop. Right, there you go. I did. <laughs> Again. Andrew's back. Oh, g'day, Broads. How you going? Hey, Broads. Hey, blokes. Sorry about that. It's, um, the, my laptop battery went flat. So definitely, folks, put those on your movie to see list. And, you know, you guys be the judge. And we'll be really interested to see what you come back as feedback goes for both BMX Banders and Midnight Spares. But look, before we get into our music review for this particular episode, I wanted to talk quickly about a couple of prominent cars from 1983. First one is John Strawn's Alley Cat panel van. It was an H.J. Holden Sandman that he built and its final incarnation came with a Jag V12 engine, E-type gearbox, and also the Jag diff. Now, guys, are you familiar with that car? It's probably the, it's probably the panel van that people know who aren't into panel vans. Is that something you guys are both familiar with? It's on my wall in a poster. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. <laughs> yeah, definitely know the car. John Strawn's a top bloke. He ran the Chrome Exchange in Sydney for years as well, so he's well-known around the street machine, hot rod, and, and panel van scene. But I guess the thing I really love about John's panel van is he, he built that from a brand-new van. Like, he plonked down the money for an HJ Sandman in 75, whenever it was, to use as a van to haul around his gear. Like, for he was in a band, and he started tinkering with this thing just as the van scene was really starting to come on song. And there's some fantastic photos of him. He's got the thing in, like in a million pieces in his backyard on the back lawn, like doing diff conversions and building interiors. And it's that real grassroots of street machining and vanning and hot rodding in Australia. And, of course, this thing went on to win Australia's <coughs> top van in 1983. And I guess it was at a time when bigger was better as far as what people were doing. And that's kind of the thing that made him decide to go with the Jag V12 engine. And, of course, it was detailed to the eyeballs. It had six uh, SU carbies on it. And it was a bit of a change from the, the previous incarnation, which had a tunnel ramp 308, the motor of which went into the wizard. But, you know, would you agree that it's probably the poster child for panel vanning in Australia? Like, could you think of another van that would be more prominent than Alicat? Very iconic car and mechanically just really innovative and, and a really cool thing. And, and like you said, you know, a real uh, expression of that bigger is better mentality with vanning. Yeah, oh, for sure. For sure. And the fact, Red, that you've actually got it on your wall, that must be showing a good sign of what your thoughts are of the car too. I think it's an absolutely incredible car. From I've always said these guys are who we should point back to. They started and they were backyard builders. Actually, you couldn't go and get a set of tubs fitted. You couldn't go and get um, these bits and pieces. You had to do it yourself. And today, the scene's never been better. But also, it's very important that we look back and go, the panel van guys who started and they wanted, you've said it before, and I'm only just adding to that, two XBs, panel vans, could both win a prize and be so different in their concept, in their stance. In their, yeah, I, I have a lot of time for the old panel vans, to be honest. I must say it was a massive influence on me when it came to building vans later. And just even as a kid, it was all about Alley Cat. And 
That actual particular issue, it was featured Custom Vans and Trucks um, number 30 that was released back in 1983 is the same issue that actually has my letter where I was talking about building uh, my own Valiant panel van when I was a kid. And the irony of that is Disturbia actually has the door handles, the exterior door handles out of Alley Cat in it, and that's no bullshit. It is the door handles that are in it now. Yeah, came from Alley Cat. Well, Alley Cat was fitted with charger door handles. It had Valiant door handles fitted to it. And basically what happened was years have gone by, John sold the van, a couple of owners had it in between, and a good mate of mine, Brian Phillips, actually bought the van. He always loved it. He saw it come up for sale. So he bought the van and started to do a rebuild on it, and he changed the door handles like you buy brand, like the brand-new handles now. And he said, hey, mate, do you want the old handles for your van? So I got them and detailed them. You can see where they've been modified for use in the Holden with the linkages, but they still fit into the Valiant Perfect. And I've got a fantastic shot from the Van Nationals of John Strawn actually with me, pointing at the door handles, giving them the thumbs up. So, That's yeah, cool. <laughs> yeah, like it's just like a goosebump thing for me when they arrived in the mail. It's like, wow, like these were Alley Cat's original door handles. It might be a case of small things and use small minds, but to me, it, it meant a lot because of the journey that Alley Cat was on with me as far as you know building vans and loving vans growing up. So, yeah, it was a pretty cool it. thing. That ties in with what I'm always saying about contribute and get involved in the scene and get out amongst it. You wrote that letter to that magazine. You got involved with Alley Cat, and then it may be a small thing, a set of door handles in the mail, but it's actually quite a big thing. And that's what I'm saying: contribute and, and get into it and little bits and pieces like that. That's unreal, mate. That's a top. That's excellent. I'm wrapped. Oh, look, it just, yeah, it just, I guess, capped off the bill for me in a lot of ways. And I've had a lot of vendors sign the glove box in that too. And it's sort of, I don't know, it's just been a, a complete journey from start to finish. And that was kind of the whole thing about it, like why it was built in the first place. So another car I kind of wanted to talk about was Bluey Boxel's Volkswagen Beetle, which runs a Ford V8. Now, Broads, I know you ran into him just recently, didn't you? Literally yesterday, yeah. The the PPG open day, the PPG cruising. I couldn't uh, couldn't believe it. We were just sort of chatting that you know we we're gonna we we're gonna talk about Louis Volkswagen and and yeah, there he was. He he rolled in in you know his his new project. But we spoke about the VW and uh, he tells me he still drives it all the time. He had driven it literally the day before, and it's got just shy of five hundred and fifty thousand miles on it since he built it, which is oh, man, incredible. That's impressive. It is. You know, in metric is. terms, that's borderline a million Ks. It's it's just crazy. It's like a taxi, isn't it? Like that's yeah. that's that's huge. And I always love reading the story about when he built that back in '83, or when it was featured back in Street Machine in 1983. How it all came about, he was he was in the Navy and he was on a boat and he was playing around with car models and he was building the model of a 1940 Ford as in 1940, and he thought, geez, those guards, it all looks familiar to a Volkswagen, and that's kind of what inspired him to, to do that. And if you look closely at the photos of the Beetle, it still retains the Beetle guards, and the bonnet's a mix of, of the original Beetle, or the front, the, <laughs> the V-dub bonnet. It's a mix of the original Beetle's sheet metal with 1940 Ford grafted in it as well, which of course then gave him the ability to run you know, a front-mounted V8. But I think the thing I love about that really early guys of the car in blue was the little opera windows he made directly behind the front doors by reversing a second set of B-pillars against it. Just little tricks like that and just made the car itself a very cool build. So and that's actually an original split-window Beetle as well. So the purists would just be hating on it so bad these days. But it's a very iconic car, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Really innovative i guess in in so many ways and that kind of shines through in airborne eight his 
you know, his current project car, which has parts from 60-odd, 60-something different production cars that are all sort of bundled up into this one concept that he's sort of sat down and envisaged. He's, um, he's a really talented guy, a lovely bloke too. Yeah, no, that's good to hear. Great to see he's still mixed up in the scene. And look, the Volkswagen's still around. I know it's been repainted a couple of times. It's currently red with flames, I think. So, you know, he, he seems like a personable bloke and someone who'd be worth having a chat to, that's for sure. Yeah, he's a cool cat. Yeah, and I guess, Red, you being a Volkswagen fan, what are your thoughts, mate? Yeah, well, Simon, so, you know, I've always been a massive fan of the Volkswagen bonnet, but um, <laughs> the Vita bonnet. Uh, the Beetle's always been such a perfect shape. And I think the, the Beetle sold... So many cars, that's why the fodder's always been there for me, being able to put V8s in and rotaries, left-hand. People have just done so much stuff to them, and it is one of the cars that I will buy. I just want a, a simple one for a, uh, a club car, just an old rusty one, five, 7000 bucks as it is, and same thing. I'll just drive the shit out of that thing. I really like a, a Bolsa Bolsa. I like Porsches as well, but, yeah, I remember, remember that car with the V8. It's, I've got the magazine here. It's, it's a great feature. And if you read through it, you'll see what I'm talking about where, you know, sort of the, what inspired him to build it in the first place. I thought it was pretty cool. Built the model, I really just think it's because he wanted to fondle the Volkswagen bonnet. <laughs> Could be one way of looking at it. <laughs> I like Herbie, man. I'd, I'd put number, I'd just get a tin of spray paint and like 53 on the door. I wouldn't even bother like, getting a computer cut sign and getting it all cool. I'd just go fucking gorilla with it. Because, <laughs> man, we'll, that's a fast car, that Herbie, eh? Oh, yeah. I don't think it's got anything to do with trick photography either. I think it's just all all Herbie. One of the other things, assignments that you sent me for this podcast, Simon, was listen to a favourite song of yours, The Uncanny X-Men, How Do You Get Your Kicks? Now, I've never heard it because Uncanny X-Men, I've, I know who they are. So I will do a review of them. Just want to do a little throwback. Some friends of mine have got a podcast on music, so if you actually want to have a decent review of some good music, get hold of Condition Mint. It's my old mate, Wooly. And have a listen to his podcast. It's on iTunes. It's very good. Anyway, Simon you, Simon, you actually had a listen to one of their podcasts. What did you think? Yeah, no, I thought it was pretty good. See, I don't know a lot about music. But um, I, I'm a little concerned, Red, that you don't think that the Uncanny X-Men was good music. Oh, it's barely fucking music. So, I, fuck, <laughs> it's bad, man. So, so I, had to, I had to watch and listen to all three minutes and 36 seconds of the ear-bleeding, fucking horrible, droning, pointless crap. I've done it because you asked me to do it. But that was my fault. I, I appreciate before, that. Ringing you when I was ringing you when I was pissed. <laughs> to, to do the review, it's only four words. It's fucked the end. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually did do, I did do a proper review, and it'd be so much more fun to review if I liked the song, but I'll, I'll give you your choice, and I'll, I'll give it a crack. Right, so here it goes. The cars are definitely the star of the clip. I watched it a few times, honestly, with the sound muted, just so I could ID the cars. I'm like, I'm not listening to the fucking thing again, so I muted the sound so I could watch the cars. <laughs> uh, first thing's got that blue HQ, and is it a blowing FC? Yes. Yeah, that was actually Alan Carroll's. It was a famous feature car, like it's in magazine feature car back then. Yeah, two-tone orange and white yeah. FC with a blowing small block, and it. it's very tough. Yeah. Looks like they're street racing and blazing the fucking top. One thing, how many years later is it? It's still, the music's crap, but how many years later, and seeing that blown car get the tyres blazed is timeless, isn't it? It's, it, it? You can't put a, I can't put a, a waypoint on that time. I'm happy to see any car of any time supercharged and blazing the tyres. I reckon that, that was awesome. Oh, look, they had some great cars just in the background with that too. Like, there's a lot of custom cars in that time. There's a really cool EH panel van with big flares and the old Wolseley vents and the guards and... 
I don't know. I just think it really... It's like a bit of a snapshot in time of a real... Like a, just a generation of Aussie youth, like having a great time and getting out and about. And I, I think that time we've spoken about before, Australian music was really coming into its own in a big way. And I think that's sort of why bands like that aren't forgotten as well. I mean, they're still together these days. Of course, the lineup's changed quite a fair bit over the years, but Brian Mannix still pumps out and they still tour and all the rest of it. So, look... You know, I think definitely it's one of those songs where I love that era of music and I especially love that era of Australian music, but the film clip to me just makes it, you know, a hundred times better. And for you, probably makes it the only bearable thing about it is if you can watch the film clip without the song. But, you know... Did you see a a H in there with a massive write-off in the front end? Oh, yeah, in the wrecking yard. That's it. Yeah, poor Lucy, St. Lucy, shed a tear when she saw that. That's what I thought about. One of the guys, I'm not sure who it is, one of the guys from the band is dressed up like Adam from Adam and the Ants. Oh, yeah, yeah. Bit of a piss take. I'm thinking, Christ, Uncanny X-Man with ant music fashion. I think that should be the fucking punishment. I don't know, it's a car theft or some fucking thing. If it was, <laughs> in your car anywhere. You know, it's funny, like, Brian, Brian Mannix was famous for ripping off people as far as, like, imitating stars, and there's that scene where he's dressed as Angry Anderson, and he comes in and goes, you can rule the streets, or we can rule the streets. There's actually, that was something he used to do all the time, was actually impersonate other Australian artists. So that's where the Adam Adam and the Ants thing comes in as well. The Red E.H. band that's in there, almost at the end, I think. Yeah, look. With a blue gun. Like yeah, got a blue front guard or? that was a pretty general thing. That wasn't like a known custom panel van or anything from those from that time. Unlike Midnight Spares, which actually had um, <laughs> the scene where the guy's looking at the engine bay and he's like, oh, look, his mum's got a whirlpool. That was actually a famous EH panel van called Broken Hearted, built by a fellow called Steve Plunkett. And it was famous because it had love hearts all over it, like the headlights around. It was a real crazy custom van for its time. But no, sorry, the one in the Uncanny X-Men film clip, that was pretty much just, yeah, just... Just a, I guess, like a, a background van, that one. The, the guitar in it, dead set, broads, you might have to... I don't know if you even listen to a broads. I fucking had to, so you have to. The guitar, <laughs> dead set sounds like a Fisher-Price fucking xylophone, man. It's fucking terrible. It's probably on equal <laughs> footing for as bad as that. You know the little riff in Am I Ever Gonna See Your Face Again by the Angels is the most annoying sound the guitars are. You know, fuck, man, I can't listen to that song by the Angels. It's good. It's like dead set xylophone broads. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, yeah. I did listen to the song. I have to admit, I didn't, I didn't gel with it. Red, I'm siding with you on on this one, but um, yeah, I, I do know the, the the riff you're referring to in the Angel song. It's a little bit grating in isolation, maybe cracker of a song though. I was gonna say you yeah. can't bag that song. Like that's a great song by the oh, Angels. Oh man, the um, what's the guitar that the guy uses? The only I was watched listening to it, the sound down in Uncanny X Man. He's got a, a Gibson or an SG or something might even be a Gretsch with the Australian flag on it, which was a bit early. Like in 83, Australian flag wasn't as, like we spoke about before, mm. it wasn't as um, wasn't as much of a fashion brand as it is now. But that, I like that bit. I don't know who the guitarist is, but what did you get a, a, a look at that guitar, Broads? I didn't, mate. No, I didn't spy it. That's just my opinion of that 83 song. I mean, 83 had some great music, you know, Rose Tattoo, if I can kill them all, Metallica, The Four Horsemen. Heaps of real, even the pop music, Elton John, uh, Mickey by Tony Basil. But Broads, I know you're into your music and your guitars. Do you want to give us your opinion on some 83 music? Oh, Red, I think for mine, the, the biggest news out of 83 music-wise is that uh, Cold Chisel broke up, which is 
obviously heartbreaking. I mean, we know, we know now that, uh, you know, they reformed a time or two and have done some great things since, but um, it was a big deal at the time. And their last stand uh, show that they did at the entertainment centre was a big deal. Um, so, yeah, for me, if I had to pick something from the world of music that's newsworthy out of 83, that'd be it. They broke up after the Uncanny X-Men song. They threw their guitars in the fucking river and walked off, I think. Nice <laughs> <laughs> try. <laughs> that, um, the last the last stand dvd is an absolute cracker simon if you can get it and have a listen to yeah, about 13 songs and it's they do wild thing which is a simple song except when barnsey and moss and fucking um walker do it they rip that i'm massive do you want to talk a bit about cold chisel broads or yeah, why not jimmy barnes is probably the greatest male rock heavy rock vocalist alive at the moment since joe cocker died i think but um I, I think they're the most versatile band they can do. When the war is over, how can a band do that song and then and do Open Up the Door, Astrid? It's just they can do swing, they can do rock. They're as versatile as Queen or the Beatles, mate. I'll fucking rate them. For sure, mate. I mean, a couple of their tracks are borderline sort of reggae songs and then, you know, you've got hard rock songs and ballads and, um, you know, as an outfit, they're outstanding and, and a number of talented songwriters within the band. And I, I think Ian Moss is one of the most incredible Aussie musicians of all time as well. And, um, yeah, the, just the powerhouse. I was really, really fortunate to get to see them live in Mudgee, my, my hometown at uh, Day in the Green, going back a few years. And that was incredible. That's something I'll never forget. Yeah, I, when I seen Cold Chisel, it was about 2006 or seven in Townsville. And it's in a basketball arena. So they were in the bleachers and we're on the – we're on the, the the court, so it's a tiny kind of venue, really, for them to play. Barnsley comes out in his, his white T-shirt, his camo pants, dog tags, and a uh, bandana. So I'm thinking, you know, is this Jimmy Barnes kind of trying to be Jimmy Barnes? Or what, man, as soon as they <laughs> broke open, I went, no, this is fucking Jimmy Barnes. He's, everybody's paying attention, man. And they, yeah, I, it wasn't a best of tour. It was fucking, and that the first time I heard HQ four fifty four. Man, no, I've, I've never heard it before. And I'm picking up. Did he just say nine inch different? <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> there, there, there are a couple of uh, there are a couple of lines in that song. If you're a you know a proper car guy, that'll sort of make you cringe a bit. Like they're talking about fuelly heads on a big block and things like that. But um, you know, certainly the yeah the, the spirit of the song you can you can certainly get behind. It's it's a cool track. I like it. He's saying L34 heads on his um, – now, now, they didn't write the song. Chisel were gifted Correct. from someone. Yeah. I can't remember who it was from. Yeah, I, yeah. I think but it was it a country matter, artist from memory. Yeah. from memory, yeah. And then somebody writes um, in Street Machine, oh, how can you get that? And I went, mate, it's Mossy, Walker, and fucking Barnsley. They can fucking make him fit if anybody can. <laughs> yeah, that's, <laughs> that's right. That's true. Barnsley will yell at it until it fits. Yeah, that's yeah, right. I reckon just a, a absolute yeah. We we could make this a cold chisel podcast. I suppose that's not what we're what we're aiming to do. But they are absolutely one of the best hard rock bands and, and versatile. They could probably play fucking Happy Birthday and make the thing sound like Led Zeppelin. You know? Yeah, <laughs> true. Yeah. yeah. I think Mossy's, Mossy grabs the Gretsch Country Gentleman or something like that when they do um, Astrid, and it was just quite accidentally. I didn't realize how much of a swing song it was. He starts quite accidentally and not too shame. It starts doing the the duck walk like BB um, King, not like Angus, it's more like BB King. And, and he was just unconsciously doing it. I went, fuck, that is cool. That was really yeah. cool. Man, Astrid's like a, it's a rockabilly song, really. So it's appropriate that he's playing a Gretchen carrying on like that. That's very cool. 
Yeah, that's but and then he then two songs later grabs out that red um uh, red Stratocaster and what do they play? What's one uh cheap wine and just rips the fucking ass out of that. I'm like, ah, oh, this is still my fucking head in. There's no bands. This yeah, yeah. It doesn't top you wearing your when you went to see Cold Chisel recently and you had your dragon shirt on, mate. Oh fuck! I was the band. We had Barnsley Rock, and he was just pointing up to us and give us the big. Du- I had, I think I told you, had people around me pumped up. We're like, fuck! This is not a funeral. It's a fucking rock. <laughs> lucky, <laughs> lucky it wasn't the Uncanny X Men concert then. Oh man, I would fucking uh, actually no, I can't say that live. <laughs> hey, Bruce, what's a go with your uh, strat? I see you posted a strat that looks fucking sick. Yeah, no, that's my old girl. She's a, a funnily enough, an '83 model Strat. Ah, um, right. They're a they're a bit of a unique thing. They were they were made differently to a traditional Strat for a, a year or two. There, um, they've only got, got the one tone control and um, and the the bridge is is different to a traditional Strat, and um, the plug is different as well. But um, they're a bit of an oddity. They're not especially sought after because you know those changes were made from a production cost perspective rather than a quality perspective or a sound perspective but but i love it it's been with me a, a long time and i bought it out of the margie guardian or the mud guard as we affectionately <laughs> refer to it as and, cool. um i've had it yeah 20 odd years or something it's um i haven't played a lot lately but um j- just in recent times i've, I've looked into a fender specialist in the city and they did it up for me and i've, I've been getting reacquainted with it so it's been fun Mate, that it's sounds like a perfect crazy. addition to your LC Tirana as well. Have those pair together. Yeah, for sure. For your time, you there's know, some, time capsule. There's some crazy Chinese websites at the moment that are selling knockoffs. I mean, the guitars are, uh, they'd be as good as a $120 electric guitar, but what they're doing, they're knocking off the branding as well. So it's just branded as a Fender Stratocaster on the neck everywhere. It's like an absolute, it's about 120 bucks. So what... What it would be good for is like a shed guitar, you know, to put up in your shed on your wall. It looks like a red and black, uh, red and white Strat. You know, it's, I'll send you a few links to them. I, I'm so tempted to buy a couple. I like can get a Gretsch copy. You can get a Flying V copy, all for 120 bucks. And they've got the proper. I don't know how they get away with copyright. Just they just rip the label off as well, and it's pretty cool. Eh? Good for just having your shed above your bar or something. Yeah, for sure. I've got mine in the corner of my living room. I'm staring at it right now, and it's kind of a bit of a, you know, a talking piece as well as something to muck around with and enjoy and play. Yeah. When I get sick of guests, I just start playing mine. (laughs) (laughs) So that wraps up episode 18, folks. Thank you again, Andrew Broadley from Street Machine Commodores for joining us and having a general chit-chat about 983 as we let the dust settle on what was a very emotional chat and comparison of movies and songs. So anyway, um, look, we are back for episode 19. We'll be discussing the next issue of Normal Street Machine magazine for Bible studies and cracking off with a year that will come under the decade of the 1990s. So thanks again, Broads, for joining us and thank you to everyone who comes on board and listens and joins us on Instagram. Don't forget, at the Thong Slappers on Instagram if you want to catch us and also email is thongslappers at optusnet.com.au. So, uh, Broads, Cheers again, mate. And Red. My pleasure, mate. Thank you. No worries. Red, I look forward to speaking to you in episode 19. Please stay out of trouble in the meantime if you can. Right. Take care. Love the family, everyone. Likewise. Thanks, boys. See ya. See ya. Come on, say it. Just say one song. Come on, Broad, say it. I'm not anyone. afraid to throw C-bombs around, mate. I used to work in an underground. Come on, don't forget. It can't be the C-bomb, Broad. It's...
got to be cunt. Oh, no, you've got to pretend you're in Lithgow and you've just been hit up the arse by a Hilux Ute. What would you say? What would you call the driver? Edmund, I, I used to sub at the Picture Magazine for a living. I used to I used to make sure that the word was spelt correctly for a job. That was what I did. 